0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're talking part two of our series on dementia. And we're going to be talking about Alzheimer's dementia and what this means for those people who are diagnosed and for their loved ones. Because there's certainly a sense that if someone can't remember who you are, you may not want to interact with them very much or you might get frustrated and family members often don't necessarily know what to do as their loved ones progress on with the diagnosis. But today we're going to talk to an expert. David Troxell is here. He has a master's in public health, and he has written a book, A Dignified Life, The Best Friend's Approach to Alzheimer's Care. And his mantra is that you should try and be the best friend of the person who has Alzheimer's. And and definitely the brain loves company. So allowing someone to live in isolation without that interactivity is definitely not in their best interest long term. There's a lot of frustration with the lack of available treatments for people who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it's certainly not for a lack of trying. There's a lot of medicines that have been researched and have not really made it to market. But until we find better ways to address this medical concern, we have to deal with what we've got. And there's a lot of great opportunities that each one of us has to help with those who may have some memory challenges. So thank you for joining me today on the show.
1: It's great to be here in Hawaii.
0: And you're coming all the way from the mainland you're here you were here for a conference that was going on with the Alzheimer's Association and part of your mission is to educate people about some of the myths of Alzheimer's so tell me a little bit about what some of those falsehoods might be
1: well I think I think the number one falsehood for me is that somehow that once the diagnosis of Alzheimer's or other dementia has been given that uh, that there's nobody left that, that there's no one left, that you shouldn't give them good quality care. Uh, To me, there's always a person beneath this cloak of dementia, a person with feelings, emotions, a life story, a history, and we want to engage them the best we can to help them feel safe, secure, and valued, to have empathy. And the more we do that, I think the better the caregiving experience is. Uh, Doing things together, engagement, as I said, life story, all of these things, I think, add to quality of life, reduce those challenging behaviors, and help the caregiver or care partner travel this journey with their family member.
0: So let's talk about some of those challenging behaviors because, you know, last week we talked a little bit about what happens if, you know, you have spouses and one of them has been diagnosed with dementia and the other one has not. At what point do you consider placement of one of those individuals into a care facility? So our guest last week was talking a little bit about early placement, that people who have memory loss may need to be around other people who have memory loss so that they can engage in different social activities, participate, and not get scared by unfamiliar environments. Is fear one of the issues? You know, I often think to myself, boy, when I go to a new area and I don't know where I'm going and I'm late, I'm always fearful I won't find parking, but, but I think there's a different level of fear when you're dealing with your brain not functioning correctly and not being able to have those synapses create the message that says, here's where I'm at. These are people I know. This is a safe space. Is that one of the elements of dementia is the fear?
1: You know, sometimes I think about Alzheimer's as being like taking a trip to a country where you don't speak the language, you don't know the customs, you're, you're looking uh, for directions. Maybe your GPS telephone isn't working or you don't have the service. And and when you think about being lost in a big city like Tokyo or, or St. Petersburg or anywhere in the world – you can feel your anxiety rising yeah can...
0: i 'm anxious right now when we 're thinking about it <laughs>
1: you, 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 you know you, you, you may not have a phone that works you you may not quite you, know, sh- sh- you may not be sure how the money works and I, I think in many ways that 's like the experience of dementia you know being a stranger in a, in a country where you don 't speak the language so i I always say to family members you know that old saying to know someone well, walk a mile in their shoes, understand that if someone has some paranoia, some agitation, some frustration, this is really the normal experience of dementia and we, we need to uh, not take it personally, understand that the person is not necessarily doing this deliberately, but but they may be frightened. They they hide their purse under the pillow. They they forget they did that. And and if they accuse someone later of staking, taking their purse, it's not that they're being deliberately uh, ornery or, or deceitful. It's they've genuinely forgotten. So I think with families, this empathy, you know, if I had a broken arm, if I had a broken arm, you could see the cast, but you, you can't see a broken brain. So we have to really work hard to, to understand that experience of Alzheimer's disease.
0: So in a family setting, in an environment that's familiar like home, you mentioned something that, you know, often there's that paranoia sense. There's the, the neighbors are coming stealing my things or or somebody is, is moving all of my things around in my bedroom or some of those thoughts that, you know, we know rationally that's not happening those of us who don't have dementia, but for the person who has been diagnosed, they really truly feel like this is happening. Should you argue with them that it isn't? Should you try and prove to them that they're wrong? Or should you take a different tactic? And if so, what is that?
1: Terrific question. Many people with dementia have what we call delusions. And the delusion has a very simple definition as a fixed false idea. And and many families you know, try to combat them head on and argue and fight. But I say in my books, you know, you, you you can't win an argument with a person with dementia. If mom says President Eisenhower is doing a great job, you want to say, mom, I like Ike too, not what's wrong with you, he's dead. So I think you're absolutely right that when it comes to these kinds of delusions, you want, to, you want to be sympathetic. You want them to feel that you are on their side. If someone says someone's taken my purse, you say, mom, gosh, that's that's terrible. How could that have happened? You know, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's see where we are. Let me help you. And then maybe you go into the room and say... Look at this rascal. How did it get under the pillow? We found it. Mission accomplished. So it is a sense of having a light touch, you know, being, uh, again, a, a best friend, being supportive, um, being a bit forgiving when things go wrong. Uh, and I think about 90% of the time when you, you offer this calm reassurance, they read your emotion. They read your emotion. I think it can be very reassuring.
0: I think that's an important point. People can read emotion, that although the higher cognitive functions may not work correctly in the brain, there is a sense that no matter what happens, people still have feelings. And, you know, a study was done, boy, I don't know how many years ago. I actually listened to it as I was driving to work one morning, and they looked at PET scans of people who have Alzheimer's dementia. And they looked particularly at the areas of the brain that highlight when people are happy. And they feel, you know, happy and loved and secure. And they looked at people who were in care facilities that were already diagnosed with dementia, and they had somebody who was a family member come to visit them. They did visiting, they did phone, they did, you know, somebody who didn't have any visitors. And they looked to see that even if you go to see your loved one, your grandmother, your grandfather, whoever it is, and they don't recognize who you are, they still highlight something in the area of their brain that says, love, safe, secure with this person. It's better when you're in person than if you're on the phone, because sometimes when someone hears voices on the phone but doesn't see the person, there's a little bit of a mismatch there. But there's definitely this sense that there is a continued improvement, blood flow that is shown in the area of happiness and security and love and safety of the brain, that area that they can identify that happens more when you interact and engage with people than if they're sitting in isolation because that just that doesn't that doesn't highlight those areas of their brain or allow them to have that interaction that they found so familiar when they were able to think and have cognitive abilities.
1: Well said. I, I've been uh, delighted to be coming, I've been coming to the islands for the last three or four years working with a company called The Plaza Assisted Living, helping them with their uh, uh, memory care program. They've called it HALIA for cherished memories. And on my last visit, I spoke to an adult daughter who, who was really rather despondent, saying, you know, my mother doesn't remember me, doesn't remember that I'm her daughter, And of course, that's very painful any way you look at it. But as we talked, uh, very much in the vein of what you're saying, I said to her, you know, your, your mother may think she's 40, not 80. Family members look alike. She may not remember exactly who you are. But I really believe that people with Alzheimer's they still remain an they retain an emotional memory of who you are, an emotional memory that you're someone special and connected, and that was very healing to the daughter to recognize that. And and I, I think about the famous Maya Angelou quote: you know, people will never remember what you said or did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. I think that's very relevant to dementia care where you want to help them feel safe, secure, and valued and, and bring this sense of compassion and love. And I think it does lift them up and, 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 and help make a better experience for all.
0: Truly, it is about how you feel. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with David Troxell. He is the author of the book, A Dignified Life. It is the best friend's approach to Alzheimer's care. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about what are some of the things that can be done, not just at home, but also in facilities to help make sure that people do have that interaction and engagement that they need. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we're talking today about Alzheimer's dementia and about what happens when your loved one no longer has the ability to take care of themselves or to manage what's going on in their lives, and they're having issues with memory and they're even just their own activities of daily living. Now, I'm here with David Troxell. He is an expert in dealing with and consulting for locations or or facilities that want to help with trying to develop a program for Alzheimer's patients that is interactive and engaging and meets the needs of the facilities and also of the loved ones and the people with the diagnosis. Now, right before the break, we were talking about dealing with wanting to still come to interact with your loved one because it's how you make them feel, and, you know, That in and of itself is healing in its own way. Now, one of the things that you're here to do is help with people who are looking at different facilities. What should you look for in memory care? So first, what would be the sign that someone would have to put their loved one into a memory care facility? If, you know, grandma can't stay home anymore, she has some issues with her memory. At what point do you know it's time to put her in a facility versus keep her at home?
1: I think there are a couple of you know really um, very black and white things. Number one is if the person is uh, unsafe at home. Uh, recently, I've talked to families where mothers living by herself and she's playing the bogus Canadian lottery or being financially exploited by neighbors or even other family members. So sometimes you have to move someone to a secure neighborhood to protect them even from, from abusers. Uh, also, the issue of safety, are they leaving the stove on, um, you know, running over the bathtub? Are they wandering off at 2 in the morning to go to Walmart um, potentially very unsafe. So I think that's a very, very key area. A second piece, I think, is socialization. Uh, Unless you have a very lively family situation, a very lively in-home caregiver, uh, as you said earlier, the brain loves company. Socialization is so important for people with dementia. When they move into a lively assisted living community with rich activities and, and caring staff, uh, it's almost like a, a party, a, a social event. It, it evokes those old social graces. Um, they feel like they have friends. I think that socialization is very powerful in reducing depression, which we know is, is, is really a fellow traveler with Alzheimer's and dementia. Reducing depression, increasing happiness, keeping them physically strong, exercising, uh, all of these things, I think, contribute to a better quality of life. And you can do them in an assisted living memory care neighborhood in a way that can be hard to do at home.
0: So what's the difference between most locations that have assisted living and then a memory care unit? Are there certain elements that need to be present for a location to be considered memory care?
1: Sure. Classically, I think number one is better training. You know, you want to have a staff and team that um, are are well-trained to understand behavior and engagement. For example, uh, working with a staff here in Hawaii, one of the things I always say is try three times to turn a no into a yes you know people with dementia often say no so you say mom would you like to go to the garden oh i don't think so well your favorite color is red the red roses are out oh really Yes, and you know, mother, you're a you're a certified you know uh, an expert gardener. Uh, I need your help to see if the gardener is doing a good job. Maybe his pruning's off. Please come with me. Oh, okay. So the staff are taught to cue people, engage them, uh, and I think I think all of that makes a big difference. So safety and socialization are huge, and and many memory care programs do that with a, a greater number of staff. You know, boots on the ground. So they usually have a, a better ratio of memory care. They have memory care activities uh, designed to you know again. Uh, um, um, support good cognitive health, uh, and and in general, uh, a key element that I write about in my books is life story work. Uh, if I'm living in independent living or assisted living and I don't have dementia, I can tell you that I like hot sauce on my food. If you live in memory care, you know you have Alzheimer's, you may not be able to, but the staff. In my dream world, we'll know a hundred things about every resident. So they'll know that someone moved here from New Orleans, Louisiana. They love hot and, hot and spicy Tabasco sauce. They'll offer that to them and help them feel connected to their past traditions.
0: So really, there's a lot of investigation that can be done in the background to find out from family members how does our loved one like their food prepared or... Did they play a musical instrument? Was there a particular era of music they enjoyed? There's something special about some of the musical abilities and artistic behaviors of people, that if they do develop a problem with their memory and dementia, they still retain some of those attributes. You know, there's always YouTube videos where somebody who doesn't remember anything suddenly sits down at a piano and plays, you know, amazing music that you never knew they could play, and they don't remember that they used to be a famous jazz pianist or something of like. But then they get put in the right environment, and they just go right along with it.
1: Music and song lyrics actually live in a different part of the brain than words and language. And it's just, it's just incredible. My, my mother, Dorothy, passed away with Alzheimer's in 2009. And I would take her for drives in my car. I would put on the satellite radio of the 40s channel, and she would know all these old songs. So music's very therapeutic. And when I work with staff members, sometimes I'll say, hey, Uh, someone won't get in the shower, well, put on Louis Armstrong and the CD player and start singing, you know, I I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And the mood changes, you might be able to dance your way right into the shower.
0: So some little tricks and tips. Yes. Meet them where they're at. And you mentioned a good point, which is in your perfect world, you would have 100 attributes that you know. And in fact, some of the loved ones may know about those attributes and be able to help provide that education for the staff so that they can understand what this particular individual might have enjoyed, might have wanted, or what made them feel more comfortable and fulfilled.
1: Excellent point. And one thing I always advise family members, because I'm sure you have many families listening to the show, is that you know if someone's coming in to care for your family member, if they have to go to the hospital for some reason, even just do a little top 10 card. You know, my, my dad likes to be called the captain. He he likes his coffee black and bitter. He once built a wooden sailboat. He he loves chocolate. He follows the San Francisco 49ers. And 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 that way the staff, even in an ER room, can 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 kind of get it right and make those connections. My my late mother was Canadian. She loved Earl Gray tea with milk. And let me tell you, about 95% of the time when the staff offered that to her when she was in memory care, uh it, it, it calmed her. She felt connected, she felt known. And And it was amazing how even that little fact could make a huge difference
0: It really sounds it because you know that's one of those things that it brings you back and your sense of smell and taste and memories of certain things really they're like you said, in a different part of the brain, and someone with dementia may not have the knowledge of who is their loved one or who is their child, but they can remember something that might have happened fifty seventy years ago and really feel like it's current and present.
1: Absolutely, and 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 one of my philosophies is, you know, kind of when you, when you have a a loss, try to turn it into something positive. So it is a loss that someone forgets what happened in the last year or two, but the fact that they can remember their childhood, their grandparents, those older memories, at least for a period of time, uh, I learned a lot about my mother and father that I didn't know. Now I'm not sure all of it was completely true, but you just kind of get in their reality. But I, I asked my mother once, uh, Mom. You know, I don't think I've ever asked you, why did you marry dad? And my mother said, well, darling, in her English accent, he was a very good dancer. (laughs) So I thought, well, maybe that's the reason. I'm not sure. But, you know, we could reminisce about, about those things and learn a lot about our family members' histories.
0: And honestly, it seems like some of these tips could also take place before someone is even in a facility that if you happen to have a loved one that you help take care of, or if you have a sibling who is taking care of mom or dad, you know, some history, you could also provide some of that backstory, and even just do some of that question and engaging to that individual so that they feel more involved. Now, you've said earlier, the brain loves company, and people do better when they're when they're interacting and when they're engaging. What sort of activities are best for people who have dementia? I could imagine, you know, we're not playing the memory game here. So we've got to think of what sort of things would people do well with.
1: Sure. Well, a couple of things. You've already mentioned music, which is huge. Uh, I recommend exercise twice a day because there's actually some evidence that people – uh, who exercise regularly, may get Alzheimer's later in life than people who don't. And if you have Alzheimer's and your exercise, it, it may slow it down. So I, I love exercise music. I think being in nature, here we are in Hawaii. I mean, being outside, uh, you get the natural vitamin D. It's sensory. It's spiritual. I think all of that is very positive. Uh, with my own mother, uh, one of the things I, I, I've often said to even family members is, you know, a, a uh, uh, an assisted living community like you know me having spent time at the Plaza this week, uh, they have a very formal calendar. But in a good place, people do a lot of informal things. Uh, they ask opinion. You know, do you like this? Uh, should I should I have my Aloha shirt uh, tucked in or tucked out? You know, um, they give compliments. You know, Dorothy, you look so beautiful today in that beautiful pink sweater. Uh, they They take short walks these little thirty second activities are very engaging, but a couple of specific tips for family members uh, you know you know just have some fun. I used to keep wrapping paper in my mother 's room i 'd bring in something and say, "My secretary has her birthday coming up. Would you help me wrap it And my mother would you know hold the paper, the ribbons, and we 'd pick the ribbons, arranging flowers together, you know cutting out recipes out of cookbooks, uh, doing certain projects. Um, A number of staff I know who love dogs, uh, they make dog biscuits in memory care and donate them to local animal shelter. People with dementia still have a need to be needed, a need to be purposeful. So we try to go a bit beyond bingo, honestly, in today's world. Uh, Have conversations on the internet. Um, Maybe there's somebody here in Honolulu who was actually born in Paris, France, or loved you know, French things, we can, we can go look at the Mona Lisa on the internet and and read about Leonardo da Vinci. I love teaching classes. And this is something we often do in, in great memory care programs and talking about interesting subjects. And even if an hour later, they've forgotten that we've ever talked about Leonardo da Vinci, in the moment, they enjoy that experience of learning. And I think I think great dementia care is about putting together these moments.
0: That's a good point because it's not about bingo. It's not about watching TV all day. It's really about that interactivity and not worrying that someone might not remember it an hour later, but putting in the time and effort now because it's that social experience that they're gaining the benefit from. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to talk some more with David Troxell. And he wrote this great book, A Dignified Life, The Best Friend's Approach to Alzheimer's Care. And in there, it's a lot of great information, some of which we're covering a lot more is really helpful helpful for those who are dealing with loved ones who have memory issues. We'll talk more about where they can find the book and what other information is in there. We'll be right back. Support for the body show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University, Inter Island Solar Supply, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're on part two of our series on dementia and memory issues and what to do if you are concerned about a loved one or even if you're worried about your own memory and what sort of things you may want to continue to work on over time. Exercise is always one of those. It just seems to follow every medical condition we know. I'm here with David Troxell. He has a master's in public health and has expertise in the the assistance of facilities and trying to make sure that their memory care opportunities for their residents are as engaging as they possibly can be and also provide the best sort of environment for the folks who are living there. Now, we just talked about some of the wonderful activities that can take place in a facility. Sometimes people may not be able to stay in a facility. Adult daycare can do some of these things as well. Do you have experience with some of the daycare that is available for some of the memory folks?
1: Absolutely. I, I actually began my career with the Alzheimer's Association in Kentucky in a very, very early adult day program. Uh, I, I think that's a terrific idea. Um, getting people out of the house gives the family member a break, gives them a bit of respite. And that day program can truly provide that lovely engagement. So as you know, many many families kind of travel this continuum with some in-home care, <clears throat> some day center care, and then eventually, uh, of course, assisted living. Uh, so I think I think if I can give your listeners some important advice, don't wait and wait and wait to use services. So many families who do that, Later, tell me, ah, oh, if only I started the day program earlier. Why did I wait so long to find a memory care neighborhood to engage my family member? It's really working so well. So plan ahead. You know, Alzheimer's, these other dementias—they're—they're they're typically kind of like a slow, lazy river. You know, they're—they're not—they're not, they're not going to. You're not going to go through this in one or two years. It could be six, seven, eight, ten years. So you want to get ahead of this and and utilize services and make some make some plans.
0: When we talk about planning, one of the things that comes up is sort of that whole concept of advanced care planning. And at what point does somebody hit the situation where they really cannot be in charge of their own affairs financially or their own health matters? And I would imagine when you have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's dementia in the early stages, you may still be able to manage some of your own activities. You might be able to manage your finances. You might even be able to understand your medical condition and make decisions for the future. At what point are those things no longer possible?
1: Well, you make a very good point. And of course, years ago, when I started out in this field, you rarely met somebody with Alzheimer's disease who still could make all those decisions. I think today, though, people are being diagnosed so much earlier. So I absolutely want people to live as independently as they can, to have a say in their affairs. And so I, I actually get phone calls from people with Alzheimer's. When I'm at conferences, there are people in the front row who've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's who are there to learn more. So I think the critical thing, which we should all have, frankly, whether we have dementia or not, is you know, to have those powers, of, those durable powers of returning for health care, you know, have your financial plans in order. And this becomes very important with Alzheimer's because you know sometimes, very sadly, the caregiver will die before the person with dementia. They have that enormous emotional, financial, physical stress and strain, and and there's a lot of research out there that caregivers are are quite vulnerable. So you, you don't want to have a situation where the caregiver has been managing all this. They pass away, and then the person with dementia is kind of on their own. So plan ahead. Try to involve responsible family members, friends, or other proxies.
0: And we also talked briefly, but you really have to be concerned about family members who might not show the obvious signs, but they become victims of scams. You alluded to people playing, you know, the mysterious lottery that doesn't exist or having there's just, you know, articles almost – Boy, all the time in the newspaper about somebody who unfortunately lost their life savings or thought they had a trusted caregiver or this became someone they saw a lot and they just didn't have the capacity to know that. No, I shouldn't give this individual hundreds of thousands of dollars, take out reverse mortgages, lose my home. I mean, some serious major things that can happen. I think this vulnerable population is unfortunately often taken advantage of, and family members may not be able to pick up on it until something bad has already happened.
1: Well, I'm sure you know from your medical practice that many people with this early dementia, they can kind of give Academy Award-winning performances. You know, they, they, it's amazing what they can do. Uh, that's one reason why I'm a fan of getting a good medical evaluation, doing what we call a neuropsychological test where... Their walk, you know, that you walk them through a lot of different questions and comments, and, and, and that can usually get to the heart of the matter. But uh, uh, I remember one time early in my career, I was actually sitting in on a neuropsych evaluation at a at a research center, and uh, this man came in in a beautiful kind of Harris tweed sport coat and tie. He was a retired professor, and and I thought, gosh, he 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 must not have Alzheimer's. He looks so great. Well, the doctor said, "Tell me, sir, who is the president of the United States?" And this gentleman said, "Well." What's the difference? They're all crooks anyway you know, great answer, uh, but the wrong answer. And that was actually when Ronald Reagan was in the White House. And I think most elders knew who Reagan was. So you could see that this is very, very tricky. But uh, over time, of course, you know, dementia, you begin to see there's challenges and problems. You, you you, can figure this thing out. And thank goodness, I think the authorities, district attorneys, law enforcement, uh, I think they're much more tuned in to financial abuse than they used to be. And they prosecute, they go after people and good for them. That There's It's an awful crime when you take advantage of somebody in this way.
0: Now, how can people get more information about your book? I have it here. It's a wonderful compilation of all sorts of different tips and advice and things that people might need to know, and it also gives resources for additional information. Where can they find it? Well,
1: thank you very much. Well, as always, any bookstore or, of course, Amazon.com. You can put in uh, David Troxell or Dignified Life. Uh, I have a website, which is simply bestfriendsapproach.com, uh, you can just Google David Troxell uh, with my co-author, Virginia Bell. Uh, we've written a number of books for families and professionals. This one's on Kindle and all of that. So it's a very good read. We, um, we're, we're probably still the only writers out there. We only tell uh, real stories where we actually have permission to use people's names. We We have cases full of permission slips because uh, we want to give that authenticity and fight stigma. So uh, the book in, in the Hawaiian tradition has lots of good stories. We're, we're good uh, storytellers just like almost every Hawaiian I know.
0: Well, you've really done a great job sharing your story with us today. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you each and every Monday right here on The Body Show.